Hey everyone, this is Dr. Ari Grubner. Thanks for joining us on the Niflos Habore podcast. This is part two of a conversation that I had with Dr. Paul Clayman, OBGYN and fertility expert, Harvard trained, currently at Hadassah Hospital, where we discuss Torah, Halacha, IVF, and the Niflos Habore. Stay tuned and listen to the second part of our conversation. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. So, Dr. Clayman, we're back discussing some of the things that you do and you deal with on a day-to-day basis. Can you shed some light on situations or patients that you've had where something is slightly off, one of these hormones, one of these organs, and, and issues that could arise where what would be an issue where a woman would have trouble getting pregnant because this symphony is not in perfect unison? Well, let, let's say it's an example. This is also, I think, an amazing example of how Hashem works in his world. You'll often have women... You see it a lot in the Orthodox Jewish community that there's a lot of emotional stress in their lives. Mm -hmm. Or as an example, women who suffer from anorexia. Mm -hmm. Or women who exercise a lot, like who train for marathons or professional dancers. Yeah. What that happens, and a lot of people in the listening audience have heard about like the runner's high. There's a, there's a, internal brain morphine-like substance, brain opioids in the brain. And these brain opioids, when they get high in the brain and they get high from emotional stress, they get high from over-exercise or from your body weight weight being way below what it should be, those brain hormones suppress the ability of your brain to make that FSH mm-hmm. ovary-stimulating hormone that we spoke about before. And so these women, they experience a lack of menstrual cycles completely, mm-hmm. and they can't make eggs. But if you think about it, it's amazing that during, let's say, the stress of wartime, or stress of where there's famine and no food available, it's not a good time to bring up a baby. Hashem inhibits a woman's ability to, to have a menstrual cycle and to release an egg and to become pregnant. Wow. The problem is that we live in a very stressful society. And, you know, our parents are expecting a lot, of, a lot of us. And so a lot of young women, they have huge amount of stress created by the social environment we're in, or they get this crazy idea that they, that even though they have a normal body mass and they're very healthy weight, that they want to look like uh, these anorexic women on the cover of magazines, or that they just, they, they get this runner's high and they get addicted to it and they want to do marathon running and stuff like that, that kind of creates a stress situation, which probably also is not the best time to bring up a baby. And it inhibits the whole reproductive system until the thing comes back into normal balance. Wow, Dr. Clayman, that is fascinating. So if I'm understanding correctly, it sounds like you're saying, um, since the brain is really the driver of the whole system, the brain is the one sending out the hormones. The brain is the one controlling the ovaries. The brain is really the conductor of the whole thing to allow a woman to get pregnant. It sounds like you're saying possibly that Hashem built this into the system, that if 
a woman is under a lot of stress. She's in a time of intense, intense stress. She may not be in the best state to have a child. So her brain uh, almost interprets that stress, understands that stress, and will not start this whole system. And that's the reason, if I'm understanding correctly, that's the reason why, possibly, why Hashem created it like that. Fascinating, fascinating thing to say. It's almost like a woman has to be in the correct mindset before she's able to have a child. Hashem won't, doesn't want her to have a child almost until she's in the right mindset, in a sense. It's interesting to call mindset because mindset, we usually think of something that we have little control over. You can put your mind to something. Right. This, is, this is kind of like a supernal mindset. It's beyond what one can kind of really control, right. except that we have a general idea that huge amounts of emotional or physical stress will inhibit this kind of supernal mindset so that it can't produce this FSH hormone needed by the ovary to produce and mature eggs. Fascinating. It really is a miracle. When, when all goes well, it really, really is a miracle. Crazy. So I was mentioning um, in my most recent episode, watching a, a healthy baby be born. I was talking about the lungs and, and seeing the baby take a breath. That first breath is, to people who, who are in medicine or in pediatrics, it's like the sweetest sound in the world. Just to you hear that baby cry. And I'm sure for you, there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, seeing a healthy baby be born, you have an insight much more even more than most doctors, because you're thinking back to this healthy baby and those first, first moments of, of throughout that whole process of how that baby was created. It must be like a, a really moving, meaningful experience to you. Well, Dr. Grubner, you're distracting me when you talk about a baby breathe. I mean, when I first learned about how the baby has to convert itself from taking all its oxygen and nutrients and swimming inside a swimming pool of its mother's amniotic fluid and within seconds of it arising into the air can convert its whole its circulatory system yeah. to one that can utilize the air i mean if you it's a bit much to describe to the audience about all these different anatomic things that have to happen on the instant of birth in order for the baby to take a breath it's unbelievable yeah that anyone can imagine that that happened by error by mistake by evolution alone without some control over an ultimate controller, that's a bit of a stretch. I think like you said, it's like a, every, for everything to go right, it's like a perfect symphony, I think was the example you gave. Like some, there has to be someone conducting every single note and everything to be at the perfect time and the perfect balance. Um, one thing I think that has come up, it's a, just a curious question is, when forming uh, IVF babies, do you have the potential to actually look at the DNA makeup in each one of those cells before creating, before having that baby uh, turn into a baby, I guess. And if so, if yes, if you're able to kind of look at the DNA and figure out what that baby's DNA is before returning the baby to the woman's abdomen, um, to the mother's abdomen, are there, I'm sure, many like halachic or ethical questions that come up when you're basically determining, you know, which which set of DNA you would like your child to have? Is that something that, that has posed some ethical or halakhic questions? You're asking a very deep question. There, there is a technology that's developed, I'd say really in the last 20 years. It's a mind-blowing technology where you can take an embryo when it is only divided at the eight cell stage, as you pointed out in your introduction, that the embryo at that point, each cell it's what we call in biology 
totipotent, that is, has the total potential to become an entire human being. And the message or the coding of all the instructions are all in each one of those cells. Nowadays, we can biopsy a cell or a few cells from, let's say, the 100 cell embryo, and we can actually take that instruction set, which your audience might know is called DNA, and we can take an instruction set from a single set of a single cell and multiply it within hours using a technology called PCR or polymerase chain reaction and make thousands of copies of that instruction set and then test it. And it has been a miracle and a godsend for couples who have these high risk for these terrible genetic diseases. The one, common one for a Jewish audience would be Tay-Sachs disease. Mm -hmm. And until, until this technology was developed and a couple marry and they each carry the gene instruction for Tay-Sachs disease, one in four of their infants are going to suffer this terrible disease and die a terrible death by the age of what, two or three years old? Yeah. You probably know better. And so there was all these uh, shidduch organizations that were organized so that couples before they're allowed to marry, they have to be tested. And the Shatchanim, the matchmakers would know every, whether or not they're positive for this or that and make sure that you don't go out on dates. And if you, with someone who carries a set, that terrible gene, let's say Tay-Sachs or others as well, use Tay-Sachs as an example. And still that's probably a good idea because if you do end up finding that you carry this disease and you are married, you can nowadays, although you have to go through in vitro fertilization, which is a whole halachic uh, question. We'll mm -hmm. discuss that if you like in a minute. But nowadays it's mamish a miracle that we can now test these embryos before they're implanted inside the woman so that we don't have to have the issue of whether you're allowed to do an abortion after <clears> testing <throat> during pregnancy and you don't have to have the suffering of watching a sh child suffering. So the idea is that you can, while it's still in the laboratory stage, if I'm understanding correctly, you're testing, you're able to test the DNA, the, the instructions of that child or embryo and you can figure out whether that baby will one day have this disease of Tay-Sachs once it is born, and then determine whether you want to use that ball of cells, that, that embryo, and implant it into the woman or not. Is that, is that correct? And you can basically de determine the, make sure, I guess I would say, you can, you can in a way make sure that the family who, the father and the mother both have this genetic issue, make sure that their children do not result in having like, let's say something like Tay-Sachs, something devastating like that. Is that? You said, you said it perfectly right. And it's not science fiction. That's real. Uh -huh. That technology, in fact, is more readily available here in Yerushalayim than it was in the capital city of Canada where I was. Interesting. Are in there the halachic issues or considerations with basically picking and choosing how you want your children to turn out in a sense? Are there any, anything that you know of? Any, any? Well, there are halakhic questions about whether a couple can do in vitro fertilization. Mm -hmm. um, post came in our era to say yes, but I mean, famously, the Tzitzeliezer, known as Rav Waldenberg, his, uh, his uh, responsive works were called Tzitzeliezer's, how his name is known. He was the chief of Sharetzetic Hospital, a famous posake, as many in the audience may know. He 
he didn't feel in vitro fertilization uh, was necessarily allowed. Uh-huh. If you do in vitro fertilization to have a child, does that indeed fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu or not? These are questions. I'm, I'm not a Rav. <laughs> I'm not such a Taurus God. I don't answer Shilas. I'm a gynecologist. But these are questions for, for you to think about. In terms of the, unf- the, the embryo before it's put inside uh, a woman, it, I, my understanding is it has no halachic import. Okay. Uh, I remember very poetically asking this question of Rav Moshe Tendler uh, in New York. And I remember he wrote to me, Something is the I'm paraphrasing, but that the unimplanted embryo is but a mass of cells of no ethical import or no very, halachic import. Very interesting because you'll hear terminology like that that people will use about an implanted embryo, an embryo that is growing. People will say it's just the ball of cells. So that's interesting in halacha that there may be situations where that could be viewed in that way. That that it, the well, embryo. Well, once you're pregnant. Yeah. As many of the audience may know, the first 40 days of pregnancy may not be as as halachically important in terms of, you know, it's like a tipasrucha at this right, point. Right. And, but after 40 days, then the whole question of whether or not you can do an abortion for what are called fetal indications, meaning because you know you have, God forbid, an abnormal child. Right. which uh, let's say in that example, like Rav Moshe Feinstein, of course, would usher that to do an abortion for Rahman al-Sun if you carry a baby with Tay-Sex. Interestingly, the Tzitz would have, my understanding, muttered such a thing. It was a huge controversy between the two. But in terms of uh, the 40 days, you can't, in a practical way, test for, let's say, as an example, we used as Tay-Sex diseases or other genetic diseases, so early as 40 days during pregnancy, you have to wait till the embryo is more further advanced than that uh-huh. before you can do practical tests during pregnancy. But paradoxically, we can do tests before the embryo is implanted. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling, really. Wow, wow. I guess now that we're kind of entering into halachic issues, I'm curious, just really curious that what are some of the interesting things that you've been asked as a, as a specialist in this field from Rabbanim, when, where Rabbanim or Postgame are trying to get a better understanding of either the science behind it or the technology behind it? What are some of the things that people have come to you trying to get a better idea of some of the interesting shilas or different you know, things that you can shed light on? Well, most of the shilas that come, that come to me are, are not shilas to me, but are asking for resolutions to problems in, I guess, the commonest one, probably people in the audience even hear of these are bleeding problems. And with Hilchas Nida, and you have bleeding problems, it can make a mess of the intimacy of marriage. And these are common problems that, that, that will come to someone like me as a gynecologist who's familiar with hormones and irregular menstrual cycles as to how to solve it. In terms of fertility problems, probably as much as 20% of couples who are halakhically observant will have a fertility problem because the egg or ovulation is released from the woman's body before she has the opportunity to go to mikvah. Uh As many know, nowadays, the earliest time, even if a woman has a very short period of bleeding, that you can go to mikvah is 12 days into the menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, generally, if you have a menstrual cycle of more than 27, 28-day interval, 
you won't that be the uh, the egg is released 14 days before the menstrual period starts right. that's always always true so if let's say a woman has a 25 day menstrual cycle and it's otherwise normal i won't get into the details of that often a 25 day menstrual cycle is associated with other issues but if let's say you have a normal 25 day menstrual cycle your ovulation is going to occur before you can go to mikvah uh -huh. so you can't there's no way the sperm can get to that egg uh -huh. so how can you resolve that well the rabbis may have certain things they can do that are very complicated halakhically whereas in medicine there are very simple gynecologic fixes with hormonal manipulation that are safe and effective that can push ovulation forward to past day 12. Fascinating. Cool. Wow. Um, I just want to close, I guess, the final thing, not completely directly related to the, this uh, podcast, but I'm wondering for people who are struggling either with infertility or with bleeding issues or anything like that, where, where should they turn to? How should they know when something is a problem or not a problem? Are there, can you offer some advice just to our listeners about you know, determining when there are issues and then if there are issues, who they can turn to or what the best way to go about it is? Well, for bleeding problems, um, you really need to be prepared to speak honestly with your gynecologist about how, because a lot of bleeding problems aren't really a medical problem, so the gynecologist will think you're a bit crazy. You have to explain to the gynecologist that you're an Orthodox Jew and you can't be with your husband unless you've had seven clean days and this whole thing is messing you up. And a good gynecologist can solve the problem. If you're living in a community where there are Rabbanim, many of these Rabbanim will have a relationship with a gynecologist who understands these problems and who happens to skill set with these problems. If you a couple and you're struggling and you've been married and you've been trying to have a baby without success, if the woman's menstrual cycles are irregular, you don't have to wait a year or two years. You've been married a few months. You want to have children now. Go and see your doctor and, and get some help with medicine to help you ovulate. What would be considered irregular? Well, I think that if your periods are 25 to 35 days apart, that's normal. Okay. If they're outside of that, then you should really seek help. There's no, no need to, I mean, you may ovulate from time to time, but there's no need to wait a long time. Okay. Where if you're young and otherwise your periods are regular and you're having normal intimacy a couple of times a week when it's permitted, if it's been a year and the woman's under 35 years of age, you should seek help and get some testing done, find out what's wrong, and it will involve getting a sperm test and, and you'd have to ask a Shila about that, obviously, if you're an Orthodox okay. person. And if you're over, if the woman is over 35 years old, it's really urgent. I would not wait more than six months of trying to get investigated and get treatment because after 35 years of age, even in normal fertile women, the potential of pregnancy drops profoundly mm -hmm. and is a tragic situation if you wait too long and find a profound problem that needs treatment and even the treatment can't help if you're getting too old. Wonderful. Dr. Clayman, it is an honor to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for discussing and sharing all of your insight. Um, everyone, I hope you enjoyed. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Thank you, Dr. Clayman. It's been a privilege. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Niflo Sabore podcast, where I had a discussion with Dr. Paul Clayman, OBGYN, 
Harvard-trained fertility specialist, now working at Hadassah Hospital. Stay tuned for our next episode. Meanwhile, hang in there. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening.